having the opportunity to have something and then have it taken away from you, it's an experience that you'll never forget. I remember hearing the sound of water um, for the first time, you know, getting in into the shower and putting conditioner in my hair and just hearing the water on my head. I remember crying in the shower and just, it was unbelievable. Or even just hearing the sound of my dog panting in the elevator and looking over to the person next to me and saying, what is that noise? And they're like, that's your dog. I just was so blessed that I had the gifts of hearing those sounds for 10 years and those 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 small sounds that we take for granted. I, I was just so blessed to hear those sounds. Hi, I'm Chris Whiteout. Welcome to Living It, the podcast where we join experts in the experience of being human. Be bold. Say yes to adventure. Say yes to living it. Welcome to Chris Whiteout, Living It, where we talk with experts in the experience of being human athletes, artists, entrepreneurs, those who've taken the risk to realize their dreams and live fully. Today with my good friend, Lori Frischer. Lori was a division one tennis player who couldn't hear the racket hit the ball, relying on lip reading to communicate COVID's masks rendered the world quiet and alone. She was the first one to get the esteem implants, invisible hearing aids and cochlear implants that suddenly made the song of the world come to life. Though 10 years later, she actually went fully deaf after being hard of hearing. Her mission has been to integrate people with disabilities by letting you walk in their shoes and by demonstrating how their buying power can transform your business. As a CEO of Ready or Not Media, she's changing the world. Lori, welcome. Thank you for joining us. It is so awesome to be with you. I am so glad we're reconnecting after all these years. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. This is amazing. And in some ways, I mean, you grew up hard of hearing, which isn't specifically deaf. I mean, it's kind of like I get this experience where it's like, you know, paralyzed from the neck down, paralyzed from the waist down, but each vertebrae corresponds to a level of function and a level of sensation. So it's not exactly accurate, but you... You were hard of hearing, you weren't deaf, but in some ways, as a result of the implants, the, the the esteem implants that you received, as a result of, unfortunately, cancer that you endured, you've gone from hard of hearing to being able to hear life's little nuances to then effectively without the implants, not being able to hear at all. I mean, you've sort of seen like the full spectrum of experience when you got a chance to hear that little bit like with the with the implants to hear sort of life's nuance what was what was that like because this is this is you weren't a kid you were you were an adult you had a lot of experiences and then suddenly the world changes what was what was that like Chris, you talk about taking life for granted. I think, you know, having the opportunity to have something and then have it taken away from you, it's um, an experience that, you know, you'll never forget having that that feeling. It's, um, it's, a, it's a feeling that is indescribable. But for me, I, I remember 
hearing the sound of water um, for the first time, you know, getting in into the shower and putting conditioner in my hair and just hearing the water on my head. I remember crying in the shower and just hearing the sound of water. It was it was unbelievable. Or even just hearing the sound of my dog panting in the elevator and looking over to the person next to me and saying, what is that noise? And they're like, that's your dog. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Uh, even the sipping in, in my drink uh, out of a straw, it's, it's the sounds you take for granted every day. And um, I, I just was so blessed that I had to, you know, the gifts of hearing those sounds for 10 years and those 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 small sounds that we take for granted. I, I was just so blessed to hear those sounds. Beautiful. Did, did it change the way that you saw that you saw the world? Because in a lot of ways, you had to adapt to a world where other people heard a lot more than you did, where, where it could be a big challenge where, you know, you talk about going to the hairdresser and your hair comes out four inches shorter than you thought it was because you because you just wanted to say yes to people as opposed to as opposed to actually when you couldn't understand. And but did you did you have to create different different strategies? I mean, it's kind of like there there's sort of like both sides of it, right? Suddenly you hear everything, but then the other side of it is that you are in a situation where you had to figure out how to adapt and how to how to how to make life work for you, even if you didn't hear every little thing. How did how did you reconcile those two things, or did they just complement each other? Well, to your point, you know, we we talk about navigating and navigating in a world that wasn't built for us, and we talk about people with disabilities being you know, world's best problem solvers, right? And it's um, something that, you know, I do a lot in the work I do. And I think a lot comes from the experience of the, the way I live and the way I think we live. And I, I was just talking earlier about the experiences I had just from environmental sounds. And to the point that you brought up, um, we're talking about sounds that um, we're not hearing like... Uh, someone asking a question and just saying yes, when I really didn't hear what they were asking or being in the backseat of a car and a social situation with my family and not feeling part of a conversation and you know, being in a restaurant socially with friends or being in a work environment and missing out and just trying to figure it out and to be given an opportunity through technology to now be able to be part up something, it's incredible. And it's um, made me feel that I can produce better and I can be part of my community and part of my workforce, but you still have to work hard. You still have to still figure it out. It's not perfect and nothing is perfect. You still have to navigate and um, technology still has a way to go, you know, but so do other people. The people around us still have work to do. And um, I think it just goes, you know, hand in hand with attitudes and access and all of that. 
and and it's the working hard part because because in some ways as you were talking at first i was kind of la- kind of listening and going okay you could afford to be lazy a little bit like you you know if if you're constantly relying on lip reading to understand you have to make sure that you're pointed at people so that you can actually see their lips so that you can read their lips and and you could kind of say oh well now i'm just sort of listening and i can and i can absorb it without necessarily having to be such an active participant which sometimes from the outside being that active participant sounds like it would be really exhausting to to be in conscious thought all the time as a result of kind of going through both both scenarios do you have do you feel like you developed like a superpower is focus your superpower what what would your superpower be my superpower was the navigating. I I always was like, okay, I'm going to figure this out. And I always loved the fact that I always kind of like, you know, from the distance, I would say, okay, I know what they said because I could lip read uh, across the room. Like my friends would always say to me, how did you know what he said? How do you know what she said? And I always had that superpower of knowing ahead of time before someone came over to me what they said. And it, it, it could be fun. And sometimes it wasn't. And to your point, sometimes it was exhausting. Um, but, you know, I, I always managed to figure it out if I, if I could through that superpower. Um, and I always used you know, that challenge um, to the best of my ability. And like I said, you know, I think um, I always challenged myself even more because I, I had to, and um, it, it made me do better. And those obstacles, I think in, in, in my work, I, I feel like it made me uh, appreciate hard work and, and, um, I love that. I love that. I love to be challenged. So. You're in the media, which in so many ways is how we interpret our world, right? Through through media, through pop culture. And you talked about being able to lip read before anybody, before you would have been able to actually understand somebody if they were saying something. So what about the media? What about pop culture? So I'm going to the Seinfeld episode, right? So so Seinfeld had a had a lip reading episode where effectively the lip reader was eavesdropping on a conversation and George was trying to, you know, trying trying to use it for his benefit, right? I mean, and what do you think about that kind of or a portrayal cuz you kind of talked about it in a funny way as well. How does that portrayal is it accurate for you and and your world? And is it funny? I could definitely relate. And I I think that it's interesting when you, you talk about pop culture and you're also seeing now even in media and in sports in particular, uh, when you're looking at, you know, games and, and television, you're seeing a lot of the, the, the coaches covering their, their mouths and, you're looking at, you know, the racing and, and derbies and 
all this stuff happening now where they're covering their mouths. So I think people are, are becoming more, more aware um, of it and being mindful. Oh, people are watching. Better be careful. Are you upset that people are usurping your superpower? That other people are utilizing it for their own benefit, not just George Constanza? <laughs> They're disrupting it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's not unique little... anymore. Right. It's a little upsetting. Yes. <laughs> it is. But but that portrayal is so much of, because in a lot of ways you're talking about the isolation, right? The isolation of, of being somebody who's different than everybody else, which is, which is a weird thing, right? Because within our, within our world, there's so many varying shades of gray and we all kind of feel like we could be like, we are on the outside, but, but there are oftentimes more people who are kind of like us and we can fit into the crowd, but being isolated, I know being somebody in a wheelchair, I mean, it's like, there, there's nowhere to hide. Right. I mean, I am, I, I am, I am somebody who has a unique experience, but, but for you looking at that unique experience and then how that unique experience is then portrayed, because a lot of it is how we understand, we, the general public understand your world. So we're talking about Seinfeld, but then like Oda, you know, child of, 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 uh, what, what is it? Child of, of, uh, deaf adults, right? Child of deaf adults. It was 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 an amazing movie that sort of they introduced us. They, I mean, it was the it was the 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 film of the year, right? I mean, it was the it was the number one film. But we we got introduced to them, and and being from Massachusetts, I mean, they were in Gloucester. I felt like I felt like even as funny as it sounded, I felt like they even had a Boston accent. Like, I mean, like, you know, these deaf people actually had a Boston accent. So I'm not sure. I mean, it was, they were embodying it. The dad had the Boston Red Sox hat on all the time and everything. But it was, it was really interesting for me as an outsider. And I felt like I was ingrained in what they were doing. But for you, does that movie, because oftentimes it's like, it's a great movie. I mean, the best way in a lot of ways to, to win an Oscar is to play somebody with a disability. But there was a lot going on in that movie, and how did that, how did that movie either further your your efforts, or or did it did it uh, you know did it basically inhibit your their movement your movement? There was a lot uh, of of positive um, to the stepping stones that we're seeing in media and entertainment and representation and in the movie and industry and. And the portrayal of people with disabilities. Obviously, um, as you know, we have not seen a lot of that in the past. And thanks to people like Marley Matlin, who really set the precedent of that, and um, loved the fact that you know it it got the recognition that it did, and it deserved so much. Um, and I loved the fact that you know people did see what um, a child. That did go through and does go through. I'm um, growing up in deaf uh, household, but I I know that there is so much more that um, it goes into the life of someone growing up in a deaf family. And I would love to see almost like a part two of it, 
um, because, you know, I've had interesting conversations with um, coders who talk about some of the, the deep stories of what their, their lives have been like, um, you know, in terms of, you know, technology, you know, you talk about technology today that's available that wasn't available, you know, 10, 15 years ago. I mean, they were using, you know, TTY then, and now there, there's, um, <laughs> you know, the, the, the cell phones and, you know, texting and there's internet now, and there's, you know, more, more capabilities and email. And, you know, it, it's just incredible the, the resources that are there now, but they didn't have those resources then. And there was more isolation that, um, and, you know, the lack of, of, of support then. So, you know, to go into the history and it goes back to a lot of history and people need to know that history and our media have to share that with so many people. And I think it's important to tell those stories and share those stories and, um, through the work that ready or not media is, is doing we hope that we can share more of those stories with, with people. And I know that, you know, for, for me, um, that, that isolation and living with an invisible disability, um, you know, is really, um, it's real. And, you know, people can assume that, you know, you're fine sitting in, in an audience and an event. Um, you know, I went to an event yesterday and I'm sitting in this audience and great event. And, you know, there was not, not, not the best of accessibility um, where I was. And um, the lack of, of captioning and not having interpreters there. And it's, it's very real. And um, it's not about, you know, um, just having it for the deaf and hard of hearing community. It's having it for everyone and universal access is is important for everyone 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 ends up using it right and in the subtitles i mean i i certainly i think peaky blinders was the was the one that really got me to use subtitles because they were speaking english but i couldn't understand half of what they said and and i certainly used it how because you've been involved in this for for a long time. I mean, really for your career and some prominent things like like with We Media, which was really going to turn, you know, turn perception of of disability on its head, where it was going to force people to see things differently and see see themselves in in some spectacular athletes, but in some models and in some in some other people in the arts and a variety of different things, right? And a great quality magazine, you know, great paper, all this stuff. How do you, how do you tell that story? How do you connect with people in a way that makes it personal for them? Because that's when it, when it matters to them, when it's personal is when they want to do something, right? I've been, as you know, and you were instrumental in being part of the work I I did early in my career, which really set um, my love and my passion for the work that I am doing today. And you know, when I when I started my my career in me media um, twenty years ago, I um, had been fortunate to be involved with. 
We Media, for those of um, you who don't know who We Media was, um, was the first multimedia company for people with disabilities. And, you know, we uh, were fortunate to bring over 100 hours of Paralympic webcasting coverage to the Sydney Paralympic Games and being official, you know, magazine um, in North America to highlight over two hours of CBS coverage and bringing some of the best of the best in, in the industry and in sport, um, you know, webcasting and sports and, you know, having, you know, bringing and, and raising the bar and disrupting, um, you know, the boundaries of not being inclusive to people with disabilities. Those type of things were what, you know, brought the fire in my belly to bring that disruption and passion to further that um, message in my work um, to continue to bring that to today. We still have that work to do um, in, in the world. I, I still think we, we need to do that. And we're, um, we're still doing that, but you know, it's not, there's still one thing missing and it's the empathy. And I think the empathy is what um, the workforce is missing um, to educate the employees and um, the ingredient um, that leaders um, are, are lacking. Um, and I'm hoping that I, I can bring that um, to the work that I'm doing. I mean, obviously, sport is a great entree, right? I think it was it was one of the ways that, for me, I was able to take pride in in my body and take pride in what I've lost effectively. And it provides a context where you have you have competition, and and you know, it's amazing to to talk to some of the people. Like you know, Boston Marathon was something that I remember seeing as a kid, where you saw the wheelchairs and you went, "Wow, this is amazing." And I don't think, I, I didn't think too much about it afterwards, but it sort of stretches your perception. When you look at, take Boston Marathon, where, you know, Marcel Hoog went, I think, uh, 117.08, you know, so it's under three minute miles or 26.2 miles. And you know, I mean, he, he's, he's gone and had lunch and had a shower by the time the runners finish, you know, so it, it flips that perception. But a lot of what you're talking about is taking, taking that, that visual disruptor and then bringing it to the rest of the world because it doesn't necessarily travel to the person that you see on the street or the person that you see in a job interview What's so important about your your live-in program? Well, you know, I, I think that, you know, bringing the empathy to leaders of, of um, immersion experiences through storytelling, as, as you and I know, give people an understanding through feeling. And the living ex experience of feeling triggers people to have that aha moment where they Can you describe what it is too. Sorry about that. Yeah, sure. So I, I think, you know, having people um, experience uh, through whether they are actually, um, you know, 
actually being um, put in an experience, whether they are actually being put um, in experience wearing a hearing aid, whether they are being um, put in a blindfold, whether they are being put in a walker or a wheelchair for um, you know a, a period of time. No, it is not an exact feeling, but giving them that aha moment of saying, you know what, I am going to be more aware and more sensitive to someone who they may meet or they may um, know, or their life can change in a fraction of a second. And they are going to say, mm, wow, I may have a customer that will walk in the door, or I might have an employee who will come into the workforce that may have um, a, a need to have better access. And how can I provide products and services for this individual? I might want to hire someone. How can I do better? So it, it's bringing that awareness, but through the empathy. And it's um, raising more of a consciousness um, for, for leaders to uh, understand. And it's pretty incredible um, to watch it. Um, it's very powerful. How does that work? Do people, do people like take a, take take a piece of paper out of a hat kind of thing and and is there a lottery sort of system where it's like okay you're blindfolded you're in a wheelchair uh how does that work i i actually um actually select them myself um i speak to the leaders before um before we do the program um you know given some maybe visually impaired before going in the program so you know I, I make sure that you know we're not assigning them something where it may be a conflict that they already have a visual impairment so I, I really make sure that you know they're selected appropriately um, so it um, it's really uh, all customized um, based on the individual's you know needs yeah my parents were ski instructors when I grew up and then after my accident, they went from being ski instructors to teaching people with disabilities. And so one of the first things that my mother had to do was she went to at the mountain where she had taught. She always, she often, she had just tons of patience. So she would teach the little ones, you know, it was always okay, herding the ducklings along. And she was on the J bar at Mount Tom where we had, where, where I had grown up skiing first. And she had to do, she had to ski as a, as a blind skier. So they put a blindfold around her and on this trail where she had spent hours and hours and hours teaching, she suddenly wasn't able to stay upright. I mean, essentially it was like a sense of vertigo because she couldn't see. What is that transformation like for the people that you're working with? Because it is a bit of a shock in the beginning and then and then how does that evolve through the end of the program it's really interesting chris um they want to become action takers immediately it's 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 really interesting when they they say to me oh my god we we now want to host events differently we need to bring in whether it's interpreters for an event we need to change the menu for dietary 
you know, restrictions and be more accommodating with that. It's beyond ramps. You know, I think people, event planners just think, okay, I need to just build a ramp. It's beyond that. It's, it's you know, building, you know, the programs in, in terms of, you know, um, you know what, what Google Docs can do, what the actual physical program can do. You know, it's amazing what Microsoft can do. It's amazing what Google can do. You know, it, they, they, they don't know what they don't know until they hear what social media can do, how they can actually promote their events better in terms of accessibility. I mean, there's so much awareness that they become more aware through these types of trainings. And I, I think their, their mind is so just tunnel vision. And when they leave this type of, you know, training, um, they just open up. And they start also sharing some of their own personal experiences through empathy. And they say, oh, by the way, you know, my, my son has a disability. My parents, my, I, I have a disability. I'm dyslexic. And the conversation becomes real. And the empathy, um, you know, turns turn the conversation where they get to know each other and the relationships and the culture start to change. And, you know, it's it, vulnerability in an organization that help and, and the, the, the improvement of the organization starts to change. And there's trust in an organization. And, you know, watching that happen and, and, and leaders start to unveil their truth. And when that happens, that's powerful in an organization because you know, you, you have these walls in organization and, you know, that, that, that's the problem. And we, we want to unveil the truth in, in leaders. So there's a trust between the employees and their leaders. And then when, when there's that trust, the customers will have a better experience. Yeah. I mean, that empathy, as you say, the, the becoming human, the, the seeing other people and the willingness to be vulnerable, as you mentioned, that they start sharing about their own personal experiences and their worries and their, because we are, as humans, we're really good at sort of hiding away and hiding any, any perceived potential deficiency. And so, so we live within our own world. So you're bringing people together and, and it sounds like it's not necessarily just how can we make this event better, but better for, for certain individuals, but better in general? And we've seen that. I mean, how many of us use Siri on a regular basis, which was developed for people who couldn't see, right? But then we don't know that. You know, most of us have no idea that that was developed specifically for a part of the population. And yet you're talking about a part of the population that is 14 to 15%, right? 1.2 to 1.8 billion people throughout the world. It's a huge part of the population. And I often say that we're that it's an invisible part of the population because from the time we're little, we're taught not to stare at someone who looks different. It's impolite to stare. And and, and the problem, I think, in some ways is that that if we don't we don't get a chance to ask questions. We don't really get a chance to see ourselves as well. And you're talking about a transformation that isn't just to serve a particular group, but to serve 
the group as a whole and, and recognize that we're on this human journey. How does that work with regard to the business population? Because you're also talking about a huge amount of potential money for companies and an untapped resource in a lot of ways, an untapped market. Yeah, I think that people who realize that this is a community, as we said before, that most of us are in it and and um, it's mostly uh, invisible disabilities that are in this community and there is um, more universal access that is is needed, and Siri and Alexa are are our best friends, and that um, <laughs> they are um, just examples of of um, technology and services that um, are are useful and money makers. And there are other products and services that can be uh, use, useful, but the the companies can start hiring people with disabilities to be part of their organizations and you know they're productive they're loyal employees they are as i said before the best problem solvers in these companies that can be the ones to make the recommendations on how to build the best products and services like alexa and um and coe and drive money into these uh, companies and, and um, have uh, these, these are also um, consumers that have $13 trillion in buying power. And these are our loyal consumers who have family and friends who are consumers. So when, when companies start hearing that, why wouldn't you want to start doing things for those individuals? It's it's doing things for those individuals. It's the untapped market, but it's also the story, right? I mean, these companies in a lot of ways are are the biggest megaphone that can affect the greatest change for for the community of people with disabilities, but at the same time, for for the community as a whole. We talked a little bit about story, right? Talking about Seinfeld, talking about Coda. You were saying that the Coda story is a, is a great story, but yet there's there's a lot more depth behind that story. How do we get that depth and and be able to see be able to see ourselves in this story? You know, when we talk about the experience of including people with disabilities in the mainstream and not um, looking at people with disabilities as a segment and trying to understand that, you know, going to, as I mentioned before, going to a conference yesterday um, that was not um, accessible and looking at a simple thing as having um, interpreters present and going, you know what, there are people who are deaf and hard of hearing that would love to be present at an event that have um, buying power, that travel, that um, place sports, that um, go shopping, buy toothpaste, buy clothes, spend money. 
and want to participate and be entrepreneurs, they could fill that stadium up. But opportunity is what they need. And they, they could sell tickets to them and sell lots of tickets to them. Why wouldn't you want to invite them? By making one small change, mm -hmm. invite us, but with everyone else. So it's just making those small changes of access. And that is beyond good business. It's just business. So it's making the shift of access in businesses. And that's what Ready or Not Media wants to bring the understanding to companies to start changing the narrative of their thinking through just access and, and changing it through the empathy and leadership and changing the lens of leadership. I think I understand what you're saying. The... Because, because for the individual, it's, it's the fear of, of will, if I go there, will, will I be able to be served while I'm there? I mean, I remember when I first left the hospital and, and returned to college, before I left my room, I would map out where I was going to go to, to basically ensure that I could go where I intended to go, that I wasn't going to confront a flight of stairs. That I wasn't going to going to confront a hill that I couldn't go up. I mean, it is it is a real fear to effectively be uh, you know be be out there on your own with without without an ability to to do it. You know, to to essentially you know be 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 left be be yeah be left effectively. I guess is what I'm saying. And so so that fear is real. Is this what you're talking about in terms of access, in terms of inviting, and what is, what does that mean specifically? Is it interpreters? Is it ramps? Is it? Yeah, I I think what it comes down to is one changing the attitudes and mindset, the acceptance, it's the access, it's asking the question, not being afraid to ask the questions. It it goes both ways. It's asking the questions. It's leaders asking the questions. It's HR people asking the questions. It's people with disabilities asking the questions. It's a two-way street. We all have to ask the questions and not be afraid to ask the questions. We are also, um, we can help each other. And we are also, the, we are, as people with disabilities, we are the smarter ones. We're the ones who can help. And we are, um, as I said, the ones that can help um, the people who are at these companies to help better provide the access. And we can help lead and through our own experiences. And it's just a matter of getting the opportunity. But the only way we can be presented opportunities is through that understanding and having those conversations. And if we open, the door and having those conversations through these experiences and sharing the stories and telling these stories, that is, is one way that we can break down some of these barriers through disrupting. And, and that's what, that's what we're doing. And so you talk about questions and, and there's this responsibility in some ways to, to ask those questions and to participate as a community back and forth. 
who has the responsibility to to affect the change? Where does where does that lie? Does that lie with the business owners? Does it lie with the community? Does it lie with legislation? How does how does that go about? Because sometimes this is a this is a an, a costly endeavor, right? I don't think it is as costly as people think it is. I think it's just a matter of having those conversations. I mean, we we talk about um, trying to make things. Um, you know, it, it shouldn't be like disability shouldn't be a barrier to success, right? It, it should be. Um, you know, inclusion shouldn't be, um, disability shouldn't be a barrier, uh, should not be a barrier to success. And and, and inclusion should be um, the norm, not the exception. You know, we, we talk about that, right? And I, I think that if we think like that, um, that's how it will, will, will work. Um, you know, I, I think you know, having that mindset um, in the mainstream is how we will get through that. Um, and I think that, you know, when we talk about getting into the minds of architects to start understanding that when they're building a building, they should build a building with thinking about the universal design, period. They shouldn't think because you know, we have to make it wheelchair accessible. Build it just like you're building a building. You have to, that, that, that's the way we have to get people to think and not think about it's going to cost more money. You're building it just to build it. And that's, that's just, that's the way we have to start getting people to think. And it's changing the mindsets and attitudes of people. Right. And sometimes change is difficult, right? That's the that's the challenge in looking at these builders because they're doing it the way that they've done it before and it's going to benefit a group, but it's also going to benefit a whole lot more people. And hopefully if they can figure it out, it's going to be less expensive to build and more benefit. You know, there there should be other attendant benefits to to, to this building and to this change, but change change gets to be difficult. And I think you you talked about the idea of inclusion, and inclusion, you know, DEI, all this stuff. Inclusion gets to be a bit of a catchphrase, right, right now. But yet, disability is often one of the categories of marginalization that that is lost. Why why does disability get lost where gender and race and sexual orientation and religious affiliation, et cetera, are, are, are celebrated in some ways. Is it not a vocal enough group? Is it not visible enough group? Is it, is it something else? How do you interpret it? I look at disability. It's not um, part of DEI. I, I look at access is so much bigger than DEI and, and disability speaks to every um, group, every sector. It speaks to every race, every gender. It speaks to everyone. And you know, when we talk about you know people going, oh, where where are we getting budgets to even approve 
you know, um, how we can <laughs> speak to the disability community. It's like, you know what? It, it's bigger. It's bigger than that. Um, we're talking 1.8 billion people. I mean, huge. Um, so, you know, I think that's where we have to educate people to understand that if this is a community, any of us can join at any given moment. You know, um, so it's, again, um, looking at it from that perspective and not looking at it as a segment because it's, it's not a segment. It's not a segment. And it, it, it's as diverse as it comes. You know, it's children, it's adults, it's old people. You talk about the aging population. It, that, 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 that's a population in itself, but it's still part of the disability community. And, and even further than that, right? I mean, it's all races, it's all ages, it's all genders, it's all sexual orientations, it's all religious affiliations. It really, in some ways, it is a really disparate group in right. that, that there's not sort of a unifying call. There's all socioeconomic groups. There's all educational groups. It's, it's uh, you know, do you share, do you and I share more in common as a result of our disability or do we share more in common versus, you know, whatever other life experiences we've had? I mean, sometimes that gets to be the question of putting people, putting people together who is your market? Is your market the the business community? Is it the people with disabilities community? Is it the community as a whole? How do you how do you sort of laser focus into who your market is? My market is the business community. That and that the business community to understand that they need to represent to serve to the disability community, that they need to understand the importance of hiring um, the community of people with disabilities, that they have to uh, market to the community of people with disabilities, that um, they're missing out, and um, that they can create products and services for us. Um, the media needs to start including um, people with disabilities in their media coverage. They need to start understanding that we are not, um, you know, just needed for particular events that are happening in the community, that we are to be hired full-time, not part-time, um, and not to cover us for uh, stories that are sympathetic stories and that, you know, um, we, we don't we don't want pity stories. We want stories highlighting that um, we're, we're doing incredible things. We're, we're success stories. Um, we want the investment community investing in us as business leaders, entrepreneurs, um, to elevate us as as business leaders. We want to be Fortune 100 leaders. Um, you know, elevating the community to get representation. That's, that's what this is. It's putting us in the mainstream, not segmenting us. That's who Radio Not Media is, is trying to get representation for. Putting us in the mainstream. And, and the thing is that we all love a, an underdog story, right? 
I mean, we really, I mean, it's part of why you tune into sports, right? As you, you see the underdog who is celebrating. And the other thing that you're talking about is you're talking about effectively good business. And, and, and so it's, it's good business. It's a, it's a market. It's, it's a beneficial part of an untapped resource and untapped wealth in, in the bit, in the, in the employment industry, right? So that, so you're missing out if you're not if you're not tapping into this resource, but but the other part of it is is really looking at this and saying, okay, we're all effectively underdogs. I mean, in our own minds, I don't know that anybody looks at themselves and goes, no, I'm not an underdog. I think everybody looks at themselves. We're all fighting fighting our way to get in there, and why not learn from 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 other underdogs effectively and those who who have been successful. What are the next steps for you? I mean, this is this is you've got some great programs. Uh, you're a published author now, uh, which which has to be really exciting. Continuing to tell the story, both in in personal settings where you can connect with an audience, but then doing it in writing as well. Where do you go from here? What are you going to? What are you going to do? You know, you talk about the underdog, and you know, I am, I am, I am, um, also in in the battle of um of the fight, you know, just to get out there to represent and um lead, you know, I I want to get out there and and share the story and 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 win and and be um the one to represent and hire the best of the best in in the business and carry leaders like yourself and, and bring the representation and get people to, um, you know, invest in, in us and, you know, just continue to share the stories and bring this to, to the world and, and, you know, spread the, the stories, spread the talent and, you know, just get, you know, the word out on, on the street about Ready or Not Media and, you know, bring the empathy in, into leadership um, and the talent into, you know, the culture, the workforce. Um, you know, it's it's really important. Um, you know, I know that there's a lot of talent out there um, in our community and I, I want the workforce to bring the access and make you mindset um and and more acceptance to be um out there in corporate culture and you know i i know that i have not had um the opportunities um you know in in mainstream and um i've had to navigate through it and i i want opportunities to happen for you know younger people that didn't you know that that can have the opportunities that you know they deserve to have and through ready or not media to have those opportunities so um, i'm excited and a lot of good momentum and hopefully we can continue to share that momentum through people like yourself who do the things you do and it's exciting it's exciting you say you didn't have those those opportunities so you had to become the person who's in charge uh the ceo and and you so you're a ceo you're you're a speaker. You're a writer. You you are a recruiter in so many ways. What do you consider your role? What's the what's the role that you put when you kind of when you kind of boil it all down? 
I look at my role as um, the voice. I am the champion. I am the champion who is going to be the voice to be heard. Um, and it's ironic. I have spent my entire life having to learn to listen and try to be heard um, on so many levels. And I feel that I am trying to use my voice um, in the work I do to get others to be heard who may not be able to get heard through the stories that people share with me um, in my work. And those stories are told through my trainings, through my public speaking. And I love to share them with leaders. And those stories are real. And I have a way of telling them. And people are listening. And that will help the movement. And that will help the movement and get people to understand the importance of making the change. And I feel that it's my job to do. And I feel that I can provide those opportunities through my voice. And I hope that I can do that. And I feel like that, that, that's my job. That, that's the main job. And that's the job I love to do. And I believe that's the job I'm meant to do. That's the big job. That's the big job. That's the big job I want to do. It's interesting. We were talking earlier about your your superpower, and you talked about being able to lip read across the across distance. But as someone who has experienced the full spectrum of part of hearing to being able to hear to then being able be not being able to hear without without having any any uh, amplification or any any hearing aids that you went to, it's, it's about listening. And, and that might well be as strange as that might sound, or ironic as that might sound, that you are, that you're providing an example of, of listening, of hearing the community and, and being able to share that with other people and asking other people, providing Providing an example of listening for other people who, uh, who who might not listen as well as they really should. So that to me is a it, it it's a really very interesting comment that <laughs> that as far as the role it's it's the role of listening and then and then being able to communicate with people. So thank you so much for all of what you're doing for so many people, Lori. Well, you know what, Chris, I, I, I thank you for leading and there's so many extraordinary people out there like you and I've watched you do so many amazing things in, in your work um, as not only as an athlete, but as an advocate and as a businessman and leader and there's so many people that um, are, are like you and you 
have had so much history and there are people that have come before so many leaders that we're seeing today that deserve to be seen and heard. And um, I know who you are and, um, you know, I, I want those stories to be told. And um, I, I know who you are and I love to share those stories with people. Um, and, you know, many of these companies need to know um, those stories. And there's a lot of history that I know I will never forget. And um, I know that you changed the landscape of athlete representation for so many people. And I thank you because you inspired me to do the work I do. So I mean that from the bottom of my heart. That is very kind of you. And as you said earlier, it's not a collection of, of individuals. It's a it's a group that is working together and and we're we're here to, you know, to push each other, to inspire each other, to support each other, the sense of empathy obviously to to understand each other and so that to me that's a great compliment and and a great road forward so we'll continue on this road forward so thank you Lori, for joining us i really appreciate it thank you take care thank you and to all of you thank you for joining us i hope you've enjoyed it the greatest gift you can give us is to tell your friends tell your friends to tune in to like us to follow us to subscribe you subscribe, you will ensure that you get to see the next episode. We want to continue to bring you great content and we look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you for joining us. Please subscribe to Chris White Living It for more stories on the adaptive community, the Paralympics, artists, athletes, entrepreneurs, experts in the experience of being human. Also follow us on Spotify, Apple, Facebook, and Instagram. I look forward to seeing you next week.